Thank you very much, Brother Nick. This is so exciting. I'm so happy. I, I've been told by our tech team, I, I wore the wrong shirt today. So if on your screen it looks a really bit like glitchy and stuff, it's because my, my shirt has some slight colors here and the camera has a hard time taking on all this beauty. So, um, so well, that, that is a joke. It's supposed to be a joke, okay? But, uh, but I'm really encouraged. I'm really encouraged because there's now more than four and a half people here. I'm really encouraged because I look around and I see... I see more people, and that excites my heart, which actually falls in line with what I get to share about today. Because I asked some of the people, how do you like to receive encouragement? And uh, a sister said she likes positive affirmation. Um, another sister said she likes it's like, you know, the, the, the interaction with people, like hugs. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Other people might have sort of encouragement in different ways. I receive encouragement that I look around and I see faces, and when I see people as I'm talking, actually engaged with what I'm saying, and I see that in their eyes, and that's really encouraging for me. And so as we look at the Word today, as we look at First Thessalonians, um, if you want to turn to chapter 2, I'll turn to chapter 2 of First Thessalonians, and I'm going to ask our brother Nick to come on back and actually do a reading for us this morning. I just want you to see, see brother Nick again, because it's been so long since I've seen him. He's actually had a haircut too, which is really nice. And so I'm going to ask brother Nick to come back, and he's going to read First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. That's First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Come on back, Nick. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. I'm ready for your Bible. I won't touch it. All right. Um, First Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter two. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or, or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority, instead we were like younger children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to be a burden to any, in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it, as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from, from your own people the same things these churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone. 
in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that, Nick. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Today, we're going to look at what I call from this chapter, encouragement to godly living or encouragement to living godly, because this whole chapter, although I'm only looking at verses 1 through to 16, verse 17 is merely Paul's encouragement and his desire to see these people, his longing to see the Thessalonian church. But throughout this whole church, Paul expresses his motivation to do what he does, his perspective by which he sees the church, his identifying with them as equals, his reasoning for his actions and his desire for, the, for their welfare. This is all demonstrated in this one chapter. And in while doing this, he gives exhortations, he shares encouragements, he shows examples for these Christians to not only be encouraged in their commitment to the Lord, but also to establish and strengthen that commitment in him too. And he does this through several ways. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at these several ways together. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much that there are people here. We thank you so much that you are such a great God that has allowed us this blessing to not only meet online, but also to meet in person. And so we commit our time to you now that you will minister to each of our hearts as we look in the scriptures together and by your Holy Spirit, change us, challenge us, and convict us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So there are three things that the Apostle Paul does to, to establish and to strengthen their commitment in the Lord, their devotion. The first thing he does is he points to God as the source of ministry. You read in the first part of this passage how, how the, investing of their li- uh, sorry, the investing into their lives was not for their own personal popularity uh, because they were persecuted. They were threatened. If you read in Acts 17 with the establishment of this church, we see how they were stoned and driven out of Thessalonica. So it wasn't for their own personal popularity. It wasn't for the gathering of or consolidating of their own personal power. Because they had no power. There are some skeptics that believe that a lot of people, or that the the apostles did what they did so that they could get some sort of power, religious power over them. But that's not the case when you look at the first century church. They had no physical might, no military might at all. So they were limited there. Nor was it for financial gain. They, They were not wealthy. They didn't do it to make money. They were not wealthy. As a matter of fact, Paul had to make tents to support himself. And if you read from verses 3 to 6, we read that the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. You see their motivation there. Uh, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God. Once again, the focus of their motivation, who tests our hearts. Verse 5, you know we never used flattery. Proverbs talks against flattery. Uh, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. There's a lot of masks around too. Anyway, beside the point. Okay, God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. So you see their motivation, you see their desire, and that it all based on God as the source of ministry. 
Second thing he does, he emphasizes the blessing of being cared and nurtured by God's love. And I think this is really something we could take a hold of. If you look at the language Paul uses in describing the way he, vet, he invested into this church's life, he never placed himself above them, although he could have. He never considered himself as better than them. Um, and although he mentioned in verse 6 how he could have asserted his own authority, rather we see him identifying with these believers uh, in verse 1, um, as sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ. And he describes himself in verse 7 as, we were like young children among you, meaning we're on the same level. We're on the same footing. We read how they cared. In verse 8, you read, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, verse 7 and 8. We read why they cared. In verse 8, it also carries on. It says, because we loved you so much. We read the way they cared. In verse 8 again, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We hear this amongst our church often about doing life together. This is what the Paul and his team did. And we read, when they cared, in verse 9, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You'll notice that in the emphasis of being cared for and nurtured, while manifest in, in, in Paul's example, it's only ever fully realized, that nurture and that care is only ever fully realized when God is one's source, when God is our source. God is our source of life. God is our source of strength. He's our source of power, our source of purpose. Or in other words, we, with him being our source, are made complete in him. If you read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 which then enables us to mortify or to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And you see that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, with a sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is idolatry. And, and lastly, the third thing he does is he speaks of the privileged position and opportunity we have in belonging to God's kingdom. Now, the reason I race through those first two is because this is the point I want to focus on today. This is the meat of the message I want us to look at. It's this third point in verses 11 and 12. I want us to be the focus of our, of our attention this morning. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. We read, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, while Paul speaks of his mindset and action, already referring to himself as a brother in verse 1, stressing the same position before the Lord as a sinner in need of a saviour, uh, as a fellow child in verse 7, a fellow dependent, a child trusting in his heavenly father. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and you see that in, in, in like I said, in verse 7. 
And lastly, as a loving mother who nurtures and cares, like a caring parent held in the arms of a loving parent, Deuteronomy 33, 27 and verse 7. It is here in verse 11, which I really like. It points to a father that deals with his children. A father that deals with... When you play cards, what does it imply? It implies active involvement. When you're playing cards, there's the dealer who's giving things out. The dealer who's giving things out. There's, there's my parents who used to deal to me loving discipline. Okay? They, you know, they have all those. There's the boss who deals with situations within your job. That whole word deals speaks to an active involvement. It looks at doing, not just seeing. It looks at practical steps, not tentative ideas or implied thoughts. That's what the word deals. It's like, I mean, even at school, or you hear this from your parents, I'll deal with you when you get home. And I look around and I see people nodding. Yeah, yeah, they know what I'm talking about. And as a parent, I've even said this, I'll deal with you when I get home. And what I like is that the example Paul gives here of a father dealing with his spiritual children in the Thessalonians, it is the same heart that God has toward us. It is the same heart that God manifests in dealing with us as his creation and as specifically his children. As his creation, we are defiant with our desire to live autonomously. That word autonomously means to live self-governing, to live separate. And we read of the lengths that God was willing to go to for us in that defiance. That in that defiance, he sought to deal with that whole sin rebellion, that whole sin nature that we hold on to within our own hearts. And he reached out. You read Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 9, and you read the extent that he was willing to go to to deal with that issue that kept us separated from him. And in being reconciled to God through faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, we read how we are made new. He deals with this old man and makes us new creations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 to 19a. And he makes us new creations in Christ. That old things are passed away. Behold, all things now have become new. And that now as his child, he deals with us. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we read that he deals with us right now and into the future. He is dealing with us, molding us. He is conforming us to the image of Jesus in Romans eight twenty nine. And in that dealing, in that conforming, in that shaping, he is making us into a vessel that honors him in Romans 9, 21 to 23, and that glorifies him in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. If you remember the beautiful truth of Hebrews 12, 6, it says this, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. There was a... A story I heard just recently of a, of a young child as he was growing. His mum was a Christian, and he would go to hang out with his friends, and he, f- he got really upset that his friends could watch things really late at night, things, whether it be violent movies or play various violent games or, or whatever, whatever it was, and, and, and he got upset that while his friends were able to do that, he could never do it. He felt his mum was being a stick in the mud, all that sort of stuff. What he discovered, though, as he got older, was the reason why his mum held him back from such things was because of her love for him. 
she denied him to do those things because she loved him so much and wanted to protect him from those things at such a young age. He discovered that with his friends that their parents didn't care so much. They were busy doing other things, so they let them do stuff to keep them occupied. Let them watch things so they didn't have to get involved. Let them go places because they didn't have to take them there. And so it was uh, that involvement revealed to him, my mum loves me, which means the correction they gave me was for my benefit. And we read in Hebrews 12, 6, that the Lord disciplines the ones whom he loves. If you're experiencing the discipline of God, even now, it's because God loves you. If you're finding yourself in a position in your own life where you're feeling, like I talked about last week, meh, when you're just feeling meh, when you're in that situation and, you're, and you feel dry or you feel upset or whatever it might be, maybe it's the Lord allowing you to go through that because he loves you and wants to bring you back to himself to experience the fullness of what he desires to give you. You need to be able to see things not from our perspective where God's been unfair, but the fact that he loves you and involves himself with you. That is how the Lord deals with us as a loving father disciplining us. And it's how he manifests his love toward us, not in giving us what, he, what we want, but giving us what we need. Sounds like a quote from somewhere. But anyway. If you have a look, there's a guy named Henry Blackaby. He does a wonderful series called Experiencing God. And he makes this quote, not from that series, but he says, God is interested in developing your character. At times he lets you proceed, but he will never let you go too far without discipline to bring you back. In your relationship with God, he may let you make a wrong decision. Then the Spirit of God causes you to recognize that it is not God's will. He guides you back to the right path. As a parent, well, as me as a parent, we can be sometimes overbearing. As a parent, you know, we say no to our kids, not to be a pain, but because we love them. We guide them, not to be controlling, but because we love them. We correct them, so because we love them. We encourage them. We constructively criticize them, all because we love them. And as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, if we being evil can give good gifts, how much more will God give good gifts to those who ask? Which basically means this, if we being evil can, can manifest and show such love and such care and such concern because of our love for our children, how much more does our heavenly father manifest that love to us? Not to let us go our own way and do our own thing continually, but rather discipline us involve himself with us, deal with us in order to bring us back to himself and fully appreciate the greatness of his love that he shows us or shows toward us. And so, and, and I always say this to my kids, I remember this, and I've shared this with the church before, I remember telling my son after discipline him and, and telling him stuff, why did I do this, son? And I remember my son would say to me, because you want me to be a responsible adult. That's right, son. That's right. That's why I said no. That's why I didn't let you do this. That's why you shouldn't go here. And, and I look at my kids now, and they are great, responsible adults, and I'm very, very blessed and so thankful for them. And so, for the Lord, through Paul, he, he does likewise here. In verse 12, in verse 12, the way this church is dealt with is like a father to a child, and it's done so in these three ways. Encouraging. The scriptures are full of encouragement from whom we are. 
uh, you look in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, and he says, Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. In Philippians 2.15, we read, So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So from whom we are to where we're going. Hebrews 11.16, we read how God has prepared a city for them. How he's prepared a better country for them. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, in verse 4, he says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. So we've got whom we are, we've got to where we're going, to whom we belong. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fifteen or sixteen says, As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. In a world that is looking for someone to belong to, looking for acceptance, we are told within the Scriptures that he is our God and we are his people. So not only from whom we are to where we're going, to whom we belong, but also to what we can do and to how we can do it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not only from whom we are to, to, to where we're going, to whom we belong, to what we can do and how we can do it, but also to whom we do it with. We read in Romans 14, 5. So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I mean, I look around here and it's really nice. I'm looking around here and I'm seeing people spread out. And I look, I get to do this. This is the encouragement. I get to do this with you. The scriptures describe us as being what? Fellow soldiers. You know what that means? We fight along, alongside each other. Not, not fight with each other. We fight alongside each other. What are we called? We're called fellow workers. You know what that means? We get to work alongside each other. We're called fellow brothers and sisters. We are a family in God. How encouraging is that? How encouraging it is to know that you are not alone. That even if you're by yourself on your telescreen looking at this right now, you are not alone. You have brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles, husbands and wives. You have people within the family of God who are there with you to encourage you. And, and I think that's absolutely amazing, which means this. As fellow workers, as fellow soldiers, as fellow family members, this is what I want you to do. I want you to send on the, the GCC devotional wall that, that you should all be a part of. And if you're not, then send me a number and I'll make you part of it. But then you need my number to, number to do that, eh? Get my number from somebody and, and then and I'll put you on the devotional wall. But this is what I want you to do. I want you throughout this week to post an encouraging verse. No exegesis, no, no, no big sermon or anything like that. I want you just to share a verse that encourages you, that has encouraged you, that you might read it in your quiet time tomorrow morning and thought, oh, I want to put this, and just post it on there. No explanation, just put it there. And, and I'm, I'm praying that there'll be like a hundred or so, because there's a hundred and something members on this devotional wall, there'll be like a hundred or so verses in this coming week. Because if it encourages you, I guarantee you it'll encourage somebody else. And then if you encourage somebody else, if you were encouraged, then I'd like you to bless someone else and encourage somebody else. Because this is what God has given us, the ability. That's how a father deals with his children, to encourage them. So the scriptures are full of encouragement. And in the receiving of that encouragement, we also receive comfort. The scriptures are full of comfort. 
oh, I've got, I've got my, this, this pillow that I just like to hold on to. It's, it's, it's not like a comfort pillow. It's not like an, an, I was about to say an old man pillow, but there's a, there's a pillow I just like to hold on to at night. It's, and it's nice. It's nice. Yes, ah, okay. And it, it, is, it, is, it is quite comforting. I was with Jono last night, and, and we're, we're John, Jono and, oh, I wasn't hugging Jono. I wasn't hugging Jono. Uh, but I was with Jono and Nick, so Nick, the, the MC. And uh, we're talking. And Jono was telling me um, he, he bought a Lego. He bought a Lego thing which he made, and he found it quite therapeutic. Um, I, oh, Lego or Duplo? I don't know which one. But, um, but he, he made, um, he made uh, Lego, and, it was, and, he, and, he, and he really, yeah, he, and he found it very, my one, my one is coloring in. And, and Jono asked me, like, a children's coloring book? Yes, a children's, I, I like coloring in. And for me, that's quite, it's comforting. We have various comfort. So the scriptures, that's enough about my personal habits and Jono's, but anyway, the scriptures, the scriptures are full of comfort. And you know how they're full of comfort? Because they're full of the promises of God. Promises of God. And because we learned a couple of weeks back, God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Therefore, when he makes a promise, that promise will be kept. And because that promise will be kept, that gives us the confidence and the comfort knowing that he will come through on his word. So we have the promises of the Lord's provision, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We read the promises of the Lord's presence in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the promises of the Lord's power in 1 John 4.4, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And then the promise of the Lord's return in Titus 2, verse 13, that we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's not only this, the the, the comfort, this encouragement, and this comfort, but also a very necessary reminder to us that these promises, that these scriptures are to be taken seriously because we're also coupled with this third thing, and urging and urging okay the scriptures are full of urging and okay I, I remember I shared this a while I remember when Ash was doing his training stuff and he would come to the school and he would take me through a training session and I would be you know, he would encourage me yes he wouldn't offer me comfort but he would encourage me and he would urge me to do my best and and I remember I remember doing push-ups I remember running sit-ups doing all these terrible exercises which which thanks Ash for, for, for nothing. But, um, but I remember, I remember his one line to encourage me, his one line to urge me when I was finding it hard to do something. He said this to me, you call yourself a man. You call yourself a man. And, and terrible as it is, as terrible as it is, I remember, I remember finishing it because he used that to urge me on. To ur- yeah, that was a good one. That was a good line, that one. But yeah, so now, even now when I exercise, and even now when I exercise and I'm doing whatever exercise I'm doing and I'm finding it difficult, that one line, that ash, I hear it in Ash's voice, comes in the back of my mind, you call yourself a man, Joe. And I even had to shake it here. It's, it's, it's really, but that, that sort of urging, and the scriptures are full of urging. Whether it be Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Whether it be the beseeching of, of Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. Whether it be the urging of Galatians 5, 1, to stand firm in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Whether it be the urging of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. 
which stresses that this Christian life, what we are going through now as followers of Christ, is a journey that is with God, that is with Christ, not separate from him. It is his power via his word through his spirit that we choose to yield ourselves to as we are shaped, as we encourage, as we are comforted, as we are urged. For in so doing, as we respond to this encouragement, to this comfort, and to this urging, it is given, he has given to us, it is done so that we might, as the rest of 12 says, walk worthy. Of, the, of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Living worthy of God, living lives worthy of the call, living lives worthy of the kingdom to which we belong, living lives as the sons of daughters of God, disciples of Jesus Christ and sealed by his spirit. To, to be worthy, to be worthy means to be deserving or to have sufficient worth for, whether it be something or someone else. I've used this illustration as a part in the past, but as a husband, I seek to live in a manner that is worthy of my wife and that is worthy of the marriage that we share. We celebrate 27 years this month, and I seek to to, to walk worthy of her, meaning I, I, I value her, meaning I cherish her, that I seek to love her as Christ loved the church and gave her himself for her. I seek to, I seek to sacrifice for her. I, I want to live worthy of that and of the title that I have of being Mr. Helg, of being Griselda's husband, of being Nathaniel and, and Emily and, and Faith and, 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 and Isaiah and I nearly forgot all my kids and Jorel, of, of being there parent. Okay? I, I seek to walk worthy of that, which means to live a life worthy of God means that I'm to live in a manner that seeks to value him because he values me. That I live in a manner that, that seeks to cherish him and all that he has given me because he cherishes me and has given me all things. That I, I, seek, to, I seek to honor him because I'm told that even when I honor him, he in turn honors me. That's what the scriptures teach. Thus I will live a life worthy of God, worthy of his call, meaning out of darkness and into light, worthy of his call to love, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, worthy of his call to holiness, as it talks about in Leviticus eleven forty five, worthy of, of his call to obedience in, in Exodus twelve twenty four. his call, worthy of his call to represent him, as an ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5.20. That means I'm to conduct myself in a manner that accurately portrays who God is and the values of his kingdom. Now, Martin Garcia, this happened to Martin Garcia. Have you ever noticed that, like, even though we may, may speak English, um, I don't know if what I, I speak New Zealand, but anyway, um, how different countries have different laws, okay? Now, Martin Garcia, a wonderful friend of GCC, he was telling me one time he went to the U.S., and they, they drive on the wrong side of the road there. Okay, I know they'll say the same here, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm staying by my, my... They drive on the wrong side of the road there. And, and so he, being from Australia, he drove on the other side of the road, what we do over here. And he got into a major car accident. 
Um, praise God that he didn't take his wife and kids with him at the time because where the car was destroyed would have seriously hurt, if not killed, um, some of his family members. So he was very thankful. Even in the crash that he had, and in hospital, he was, he was praise God that my family wasn't with me. But once again, you, see, you can't live, you can't abide by your own home rules if you are in another country. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. Therefore, if we now are, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, I believe, are citizens of heaven, if we now, because we are called to walk worthy of God, who has called us unto his kingdom, we are then to walk in accordance with the kingdom we now belong to. Not the kingdom that we've come from. Not the kingdom of this world. Not the, the, the life of the old man. I'm not called to live by those values anymore. I'm called to live by divine values, by heavenly values, according with the Lord's values, in accordance to what he says here. The divine standards that's been communicated to, to you and I, that's what we are called to live by. And what you'll find fascinating is that as we live in accordance to the Lord's values and the Lord's heart and the Lord's word, we will still honor the people of this world in the same manner. Let me explain. If you look at the one another's listed in Scripture, if you look at the one another's listed in Scripture, you'll find us will be fulfilling that whole idea of, I think it's John 13, 35, of how all men will know that you're my disciples by our love for each other. So we read these one another's in Scripture, devoted to one another. That's what we are called to live by, Romans 12, 10a. Honor one another, Romans 12, 10. Of the same mind with one another, Romans 15, 5. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. Admonish one another, Romans 15, 14. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Submit to one another, in Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, 21. And encourage one another, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. And that's not even looking at the likes of love one another, be kind one to another, forgive one another. We are so many one another's that are held to the values of God's kingdom that you and I are called to live by. And what I like is that you and I can live by because God has given us the means to do so. You see, this is the blessing and the encouragement we can take. The example given by Paul toward the church is comparable to the love, involvement, compassion, encouragement, and urging the Lord Jesus expresses toward you and towards me. And we can be confident that he who began a good work in us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is the encouragement. That is the encouragement to live a godly life. We've been given the standard by which to live. We're given the means by which we can live it. And we're given the power to do so. Isn't that encouraging? That's encouraging. I'm encouraged. And, and so we can, we can move on. We can move on from this into what God has in store for us by his power. So as, as you move forward, as, as we move forward, we can be encouraged that our Lord is present with us, comforted by the fact that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and urged to walk in the Spirit and to walk obediently by his word. Such is the love of God and Jesus Christ to you and I. So, Paul points to God being the source of ministry, emphasizing being the blessing, emphasizing the blessing of being cared and nurtured by God's love as we observe the privileged position and opportunity we have in belonging to God's kingdom. That, brothers and sisters, is the word for you and I to take away today, to be encouraged in, to stand in, and to move forward in. 
for the glory of God. Yeah. I pray that you would be encouraged in some small way and that whatever encouragement you've received, you can then pass on to others. So if you allow me, bow your heads and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for your love and for your goodness that you manifest to us in so many ways. From the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again so that we might be forgiven of our sin. To the fact that we, through faith in Christ, are made new creations and born again of his spirit. Thank you so much that you deal with us in our defiance. You deal with us in our rebellion and with your long-suffering and patience and compassion and mercy. You shape us and conform us through your encouragement, through your comfort, and through your urging to become more like Jesus. I pray that as we leave here today, that these will not just be words who fall, that fall on our ears and rest upon our hearts. I pray that our hearts be soft to take in the seed of your word, that it might take root and come to fruition, to bring forth fruits of righteousness, fruits of holiness, and fruits of obedience. So we ask you to dismiss us now. Thank you that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are continuing the great work that you have started in us and will bring it to completion. Thank you just for the privilege and the blessing of being called your child. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. We'll see you guys next week.